Hello, I'm Yolanda Brown and welcome to LPO Offstage. This podcast gets down to the musical nitty gritty with members of the London Philharmonic Orchestra, one of the leading symphony orchestras in the UK. In this episode, it's glad drags on as we're off to the opera. The LPO has been resident orchestra at the Summer Opera Festival Glyndebourne for almost 60 years. And today we're going to find out what it's really like to play opera as an orchestra and what it's like in the pit. I've got principal bass player Kevin Rundle and violinist Fiona Hyam here with me today. Fiona and Kevin, thanks so much for joining me. It's a pleasure. Hi again, Yolanda. So nice to see you. Hello. Now, Fiona, let's start with Glyndebourne. Where does it all begin for you? When was your first introduction to this amazing festival? Gosh, um, well, Glyndebourne has been such a huge part of my life. When I first joined the London Philharmonic and I came down here, I didn't know what to expect. And I didn't realise that it would also really take over my life, actually, because I loved it so much. And after spending sort of about 10 summers coming down from London and sometimes staying in the holidays and bringing my children down and when we could in the summer holidays, I really fell in love with the whole area, with Glyndebourne and, and all the surrounding countryside. And I, so I moved to Lewis. Wow. And I've lived there ever since. Having lived in London all my life, I'm a Londoner, I moved down here 21 years ago. And so the root of that is because of the Glyndebourne experience and being in the area? It occurred to me that while I was commuting down here for the summer months from London, I could live here and actually do the commute back to London in the winter rather the uh-huh. other way around. Yes, yes, and flip it. <laughs> exactly. And it's it's really wonderful because I did bring up my daughters here and... They grew up at Glyndebourne, really, because they were, well, first of all, they were inside me, inside the pit, (laughs) (laughs) listening to operas even before they were born. Um, And my second daughter was actually born, well, uh, three days after I gave birth, I performed in an opera at Glyndebourne, which is quite strange, I know, but it was a, a performance that I couldn't really miss and I felt fine and everything, but... They were just part of it. That's beautiful. Well, that's what you call an absolute connection with the Glyndebourne Festival. And we're going to dig a bit deeper so that our listeners know exactly what it is we're speaking about. I mean, this festival, Kevin, goes from May to August. What's been your relationship with with Glyndebourne? It's very long-standing, really. The first time I ever went to Glyndebourne was when I was at music college. And it was probably, I'm not going to reveal the the year, (laughs) but there was a girlfriend and she persuaded, she said, oh, this great place so and I had a car so I think that was the, the, the attraction for her <laughs> so we we drove down to Glyndebourne I remember putting a bottle of champagne in the lake and, do, oh, wow. and doing all this stuff and then after that I think I think in um, about 1985 there was an opera by Oliver Nusson called Where the Wild Things Are right. and the London Sinfonietta did that I wasn't in the LPO by that time but and I went and played in Where the Wild Things Are conducted by Oli Nusson, and that was great. But then when I joined um, the orchestra in the early 90s, of course, I've done every season as much as I could possibly do down there. And the same as Fiona, I mean, I fell in love with the area and also decided that the concept of travelling backwards and forwards, for me, that would be a 150-mile round trip. (sighs) every day no. and and I was I was lying in bed last night thinking about this it represents about 12,000 miles wow a, a Glyndebourne season yes and so our family decided that we would go and uh, 
and stay down there. Shamefully, we were in a little ridge tent on, on oh. a, in, in, a camp, in a campsite. <laughs> That's the real festival spirit there. <laughs> up the road. And we graduated to a, a lovely big folding camper. And, uh, and now we've, we've upgraded that further and we have somewhere to live down there. For the last 30 years, I've spent every summer down in East Sussex. I loved it. And as Fiona said, I really love the area. I still live in my house in, in, in leafy Surrey, but uh, we, we spend the summers down there. I don't really know what my garden is like in the summer because, never, because we, we come back and weed occasionally. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's lovely to know that such a beautiful setting has sort of made you change your life choices. Fiona, so what would the rest of the orchestra do? I mean, it's lovely that you've been able to make this set up and make these changes to, to the way that you live and where you live. But do most of the orchestra commute then? And how, how long does it take to get there? I think on the whole, they do. They all commute. Some of them commute by car. Nowadays, more of them commute by train. And there is a little shuttle bus that the, the Glyndebourne Opera House run for the orchestra, which they, oh. which meets the trains at Lewis Station and drives us the four miles to the Opera House. So that's very convenient. And I, I actually live very close to the station, so I take that shuttle bus as well because I don't have a car. I gave yes. up having a car about 10 years ago because I don't need it here. But actually, I, I also walk to Glyborne over the top of the downs when I can, wow. which is the most beautiful walk, you know, because it's through fields of cows and sheep. And actually, there's a field full of larks, which is just amazing. Um, and I, I think sometimes I think to myself when I'm walking to rehearsals, you know, that there can't be many jobs where there's a perk like this. That you can walk through such beautiful surroundings and then arrive at this gorgeous opera house and play amazing music you know so I just think we're so privileged in the London Philharmonic. I understand the surroundings now and how beautiful it is the only thing I've heard coming through the different episodes of uh, LPO Offstage is how tight that pit actually is what is it like performing in the pit at Glyndebourne Kevin? Well I think tight is the very word the first rehearsal for any opera is a great big a great fight for space Wow. And as a bass player, we're always at the back. So we're either at the back of the pit or, or to one side. And, of course, everybody gets into the pit and they get quite comfortable. And, um, and then it's, it's like a wave. It goes out to the back of the pit. And we, we find that we, we haven't got room to bow. We, can't, oh, we haven't no. got room to sit. So everybody has to shuffle forward a bit. So, and then all the stands get marked for each opera. And there might be... I mean, perhaps three operas running concurrently mm. uh, during the season. And then, so there'll be all these different coloured stickers all over the floor to show where a stand for Magic Flute has got to be <laughs> and, and one for the Mikado or something. The sound is, it's its a difficult sound, I think, because you're so close to everybody else. Yes. It's, it's not like the concert hall setting. The sound gets away. And it's a, a kinder sound. So it's the only place really where I have to resort to putting earplugs in sometimes. Interesting. Which I hate doing because then, of course, you can't, you can't hear things properly. You can't hear yourself. Yes. Sometimes it's just a necessity because you might be near, I don't know, it could be trombones or timpani or piccolo sometimes. These, these are the very, very loud instruments, trumpets. Yes. And it's very harmful to your long-term hearing prospects. 
you, you'll know that as a as a saxophonist. That, Indeed, that yes. I'm the times. one creating the noise, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah you have to take care. <laughs> exactly yeah. that. And Fiona, do you feel like a change in identity during these months? Because, I mean, usually you're on the concert platform, especially being up there playing the, the violin. You, you can see the orchestra. You're right at the front there. What is it like being in the pit? It is very different from being on the concert platform. In some ways, it's lovely because... A change is as good as a rest. And for us, when we come from the London season where we might have three very challenging programmes per week to learn under extreme pressure, really, sometimes, and then having to perform them back to back, it's actually wonderful to go into the opera house and have lots of rehearsals on an opera, to learn it really well, and then to have a whole run of performances where we can actually get many opportunities to get it right and get it better. You know, it's it's completely different. But of course, as far as our egos are concerned, we take a second <laughs> we take a second place. And I think the London Philharmonic is really well known for being a flexible accompanist mm. to the singers because we've been doing it for so many years and not all the London orchestras, well, some more of them now do play in opera in summer festivals, but at one time we were the only one really doing opera for four months of the year. And so I think it's changed, I'm sure Kevin would agree with me, it's changed the way that we play. We are very good at accompanying. And we do have to put our egos second in a way for a while, but it's also a rest. And it's funny, some people have said, oh, well, being in the pit is a bit like being in the fireplace and not being able to see what's on the mantelpiece. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. (laughs) Certain amount of truth in that, and it it can be frustrating not to be able to see what's going on on stage. Although, for for, I don't well, as far as the bass section is concerned, I'm not sure. Sometimes the second violins are lucky, and we're placed opposite the first violins on the other side of the pit, right at the front near the audience. Um, And then we can sometimes see what's going on on the stage. And it's really wonderful. It's an incredible treat. (laughs) Yes, I can imagine. You should rub that into the rest of the orchestra. (laughs) And I think, Fiona, you've just provided me with what is going to be the phrase of my life now. A change is as good as a rest. I love that. I'm taking that with me. Now, Kevin, tell me about the change in repertoire, because, you know, you, as you say, sometimes you're really preparing these these concerts. What is it like to actually be able to sit down and really enjoy the opera repertoire? But what is it also like to play? Well, I think the, the opera repertoire is, is fantastic. You know, before I joined the LPO, I was 10 years at English National Opera. Right. And um, earlier in my life, I was four years at Covent Garden. So I, I've spent a lot of time sitting in pits playing operas. The thing that I would echo from what Fiona said is the joy of doing a run of 10, 15 performances, no rehearsals. By that time, you get into that, you just turn up at the theatre and you, no. do, you do the performance. <laughs> You warm up a little bit, then play the performance and go home. And wow. there's, there's no rehearsal. There's nobody telling you what you're not doing right. That's interesting. That, that's wonderful. Astonishingly, there are very few disasters. Wow. Yeah. When you think what's going on, I can think a handful of cases, and none at Glyndebourne, where mm. a show has actually come to grief. I can think of one performance, but that was for a different reason. (laughs) Tell me, please, spill it all, Fiona. (laughs) This is probably one of the most, you know, horrendous things that has ever happened at Glyndebourne, actually, but it it was fine in the end. But we were playing Rusalka, 
and it was very the production was very dark at that point and it's all sort of in the forest and the soprano is singing and she's walking sort of backwards and we were all sort of lulled into a kind of dream world with this beautiful music at the time and suddenly the most horrendous thing happened she stepped over the back of the stage backwards <gasps> over the top of the stage and fell into the orchestra pit no yeah and and it's a very very big drop you know it's not insignificant yes and there was this terrible gasp went up from the audience and the orchestra and just for a few seconds it was just a sort of silence and then everybody rushed to help her but of course everything stopped the lights came up her fall had been broken by a cellist I was going to ask (laughs) she had had landed partly on a cello and a cellist but I mean the cello was slightly damaged but he wasn't injured and she was remarkably Unhurt. I mean, she was bruised, but the thing yes. is, she came back sort of for the next performance. But it was probably one of the most shocking things that's ever happened at Clydeborn. Very much yes. so. Yeah, it, it happened right in front of me. I, I, I saw this this lady fall from the sky, and <gasps> there she was lying on on the floor. I must say, I thought she was dead oh, for a my for a, for a few moments because, of course, she was unconscious. Yeah, of course. It was horrific to see this. Wow. She wow. went. She went white. As, she, in fact, she was wearing a, an all-white costume, and she That's she blended out of a horror movie. Isn't she, it? she blended in with that perfectly. <laughs> oh my goodness! The look she had. Yeah. So, are there railings there now? There's a net, but it but couldn't possibly stop the weight of a person. Oh, I see. No, and I think she actually bounced out of the net. Oh, you know, she stepped over back onto. into the net and then went over back over into the pit. I think. That's my what goodness! Oh, well, we're glad that she's okay. What an experience! That would have been. And so did the performance carry on that night or was it sort of closed? There was an understudy who was singing a different role in the opera. So she had to get changed quick and take on the role of Rusalka. Wow. And then they had to get somebody to cover for the understudy. who was. (laughs) So everyone moved around a bit. The singer wanted to come back and do the third act. I can imagine. But, but of course, they, they, she had to go to hospital to be checked out and she must have been suffering from severe shock. Yes, absolutely. Goodness, so there's drama up above and below yeah. the pits in opera. <laughs> oh, well, we're glad that she's OK. Thank you for sharing that, Fiona. Oh, goodness. And what about the atmosphere of the festival itself? Is there like an excitement that this is a, a very special occasion, it's different, and does that filter through to backstage? It has a different atmosphere from concerts. I think everybody who goes to Glyndebourne really looks forward to it, especially if it's a, a nice day, because it's the most amazing experience, actually, to go there to be in this gorgeous garden where there's an hour and a half interval almost, you know, where you can go and have a picnic or eat in the restaurant and people like to dress up. And it's the dressing up thing at Glyndebourne. I used to, when I first went there, I thought it was incredibly uh, pretentious and silly. But actually over the years, I've realised that it's all sort of part of the occasion and it's really fun. It's not a dress code as such. I mean, you don't have to wear... You know, evening clothes. You can really wear anything you like, um, but it, it's, it's really But the fun. man in the grey suit always looks out <laughs> of place. Out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it looks wonderful. And we used to, we, one of our games yeah. actually was to sit up in the green room and watch people coming into the opera house where, where they couldn't see us upstairs in the opera house and sort of comment on people's outfits <laughs> privately yeah. and say, oh Doing gosh, the red look carpet. at that dress. You know, that is amazing. <laughs> 
And does that filter through the orchestra as well? Do you have to dress in evening dress even though people can't see you? Or can you wear what you like? No, no, we wear dinner jackets. The men wear dinner jackets and a black tie. And the ladies wear, we wear normal concert dress that we would wear on the concert platform in long black dresses or suits or whatever. It's all part of the occasion and it wouldn't be the same if we were all sitting there in our jeans, definitely, you know. No, exactly. Does the atmosphere outweigh the music at all? You know, is the audience different to a concert going audience? Yes, I think so. I think that there are two halves. There are some who who are there because they want to listen to the opera and they're very knowledgeable and they love opera and a lot of people will spend a great deal of time going around Europe and going to America listening to opera and then there are those people who have gone for the picnic mm. and to have a good laugh at the sheep. I think one of my favourite comments was I overheard somebody saying, oh, so they're not all local singers. Oh, goodness. And I, I thought that, 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 put it, that, that was like the somebody asking you, what's your daytime job? When, yes, when you've done a concert. Real, what's your proper job? Yeah, what's your proper job? But we've all had that. And, you know, I've done a lot of presenting for the proms and I remember sort of, especially in a season, trying to show that it is music for everyone. Although there are traditions and, you know, it's a long-standing festival in itself, it is for everyone. Do you feel that Glyndebourne has that or it can have that appeal to sort of open itself up to more people? I think they try very hard. They do under 30s. Ah. And I think the idea is that they sell tickets for £30 and basically for under 30-year-olds, because one thing we haven't discussed is the cost that it is to go to Glamborn, uh-huh. which is phenomenally expensive. They receive no, no public subsidy. Any money that they spend on opera, they have to get from audiences or from the restaurants. Yes, And yes. so there's a huge commitment there. The idea of this extra long interval, an hour and a half, you were saying, why do you think that is uh, sort of something that people look forward to, Fiona? Well, because of the... Gorgeous surroundings and the gardens at Glyndebourne are spectacular. There's a beautiful lake, a natural lake that you can walk around. There's a rose garden. There is the ha-ha, which is this amazing thing, which is a feature of English country houses traditionally, which is a, a sort of optical illusion. So when you're sitting on the lawn near the opera house, or it looks like there is no barrier between you and the field where the sheep are or the cows. But in fact, it's invisible and it's a ditch which prevents the sheep from getting onto the lawn and eating the picnics. Um, <laughs> although there have been other creatures that get onto the lawn and eat the picnics. <laughs> like what? I, well, like um, ducks. There was a, there was a very oh. famed duck that sort of wandered around the Glyndebourne picnics at one point <laughs> in the garden. And, and there have been peacocks as well. They, they keep peacocks there. I think a lot of people come and they think that they have to have a very posh picnic with a table and candles and everything else. And some people do really go for that and have a very, very elaborate picnic. But, you know, you can equally just come and bring a rug and a sandwich and just sit in the middle of the garden and just love it, you know, have a great time, you know. Sounds beautiful. I'm sold. I tell you, I'm sold. (laughs) And what about for the musicians then? I mean, an hour and a half between playing you've warmed up you're you're in the moment and then you've got to sort of almost warm down quite a bit Kevin what do do the orchestra do and do you like the idea of that gap well there's various things quite a few people go on a health kick Mm. and they might get their running kit on and there's there's a big hill just opposite the opera house called Mount Caban and um, some people take pride in running up 
and down from that, which and I think is... And then get the suit back on I, and go for the second half. Yeah, yeah, then have a shower and then come back in and do, do the last act. That's fantastic. There was one cellist who used to fly a kite and, and he would go out on the lawn and he'd be seen um, amongst the sheep flying a kite. In years gone by, there was a, a bass player who took a Tai Chi class and they would go off into the woods and they had maybe half a dozen people doing Tai Chi. But Kevin, you're you're famous for the interval, really. This is your subject. Oh, I, I don't know how I got into it, but there's a set of croquet mallets and balls and and hoops, <laughs> yes. and there's a croquet lawn, and so there's a little a small elite group who every evening will set out and have a game of croquet. That's so exciting. And, <laughs> And, and we play completely diff- the wrong rules, very, very unusual rules, which are unique to Glyndebourne Opera House, which have evolved over the years. There was one conductor once who came along and told us that we were playing it all wrong. So we, we said he couldn't play. He wanted a game with us. So we, we, we refused him. You have to play Glyndebourne rules. Yeah. But I think it's because we've got to fit it into about an hour so that we can have a game and then we can eat afterwards. Can you tell me about some of your favourite Operas, or what? What would be your favourite opera to perform? Um, yes, it's a hard one to answer. Actually, I think playing Wagner has to be a highlight for me. I think playing Tristan and Isolde at Glyndebourne was the most incredible experience. And although it was three acts, and each act was approximately an hour and a half, I was so completely taken in and taken by this whole music, the musical experience and the hearing the singers and, and everything that every act felt like 10 minutes to me, actually. And wow. I and at the end of the performance, you'd think having played, it's a huge play for everybody, you'd feel very tired. But actually, I didn't feel tired at all. I was so euphoric after performing Tristan that it took me hours actually to calm down. I had to go home and drink a lot of red wine. <laughs> just to bring yourself back. The conductor really then holds this thing together, right? The conductor can see above and below. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. The conductor's in charge. Conductor's in charge. And so are there any favourite conductor moments or favourite conductors that you love working with when it's a full opera production? Um, Well, I can tell you about one horrendous conductor moment, actually, personally, (laughs) um, which was probably one of the most painful memories for me. Personally, because we were performing Eugene Onyegin with Vladimir conducting, and I was sitting very close actually to the conductor at this point, and I was really enjoying the performance a lot. And um, it was quite a few years ago, I should say. And and suddenly, right at the denouement of the opera, the sort of absolute crisis point with this very quiet chord that the conductor is holding, this chord, a mobile phone went off. And it was very loud and it was a very stupid tune. And I sort of, my first reaction was, oh, my God, whose phone is going off, you know? And, and then I realised that it was my own. No! <laughs> and I, I tried to, it was a new phone and I, I thought I'd switched it off and I didn't really know how to switch it off. I didn't even recognise the ringtone, as I say. But I, so I got hold of it and I, I tried to turn it off and I, I was, just couldn't do it. I was kind of struggling to turn this thing off. All the time, Vladimir was holding this cord and looking oh, no. absolutely furious because he thought, imagine. he didn't realise it was anybody in the orchestra, actually, although we were quite I close, it was very audience. dark. He thought it was somebody in the, in the audience behind him and I think he thought if he held the cord longer, it would stop. Yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> 
Trash. Just I was trying time. to turn it off and just dying a thousand deaths. But anyway, and all my, my colleagues around me could see what was happening and they were laughing, I have to say, but I was dying, really, of shame. <laughs> Two days later, I did actually confess to Vladimir that I was the one who had been responsible for this and... I can just say it was not an easy conversation. Oh, oh good on you for owning up. Oh, what did he say? He, he, he just said, well, what can I say? He said, I was devastated. And I just sort of burst into tears and said, so was I. Oh, no. <laughs> but then I must say after that, he said to me, well, um, thank you for your honesty. He said, I, I appreciate your honesty, you know. Yes, I think eventually yes. he forgave me, but it took a long time. It took a lot of a lot of good playing. To... <laughs> I mean, what can you do? That must have been a horrendous uh, feeling. I'll never forget it. I, I, I was looking forward to telling that story. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. Sorry. That's okay. And so acoustically, could everybody? I mean, was it loud, Kevin? Oh yeah. Yes. Oh yes. <laughs> and strategic as well. As Fiona said, it was the, the moment of the opera. The mo- quietest moment in the whole opera. And literally, oh, yeah. I think three minutes before the end. And the irony of it was that it was my youngest daughter who was calling me. And in fact, the performance was running about five minutes late. Mm. So actually, if she'd called me just, you know, five minutes later, it wouldn't have happened. Oh. <laughs> Well, from the womb to the auditorium, I tell you, (laughs) making lots of appearances. Oh, thank you for sharing that because I would want to forget that for sure. (laughs) I I understand that you were uh, performing uh, The Ring with Vladimir Yurovsky and um, that had to be cut short. Were you enjoying that repertoire, Kevin? Yes, very much. Yeah, it was a terrible shame. I'd, I've never played Gotterdammerung, which is the fourth one. Yes. You know, The Ring is, is four big chunks. I've done them before, but at uh, the LPO, we've done the first three. Well, I mean, which year was it? It was this year, wasn't this it? This year, yes. 2020. 2020. 2020. 21. One. 21. What year are we in? I know, what year? <laughs> Who knows what year it is? We were, we were meant to be doing Gotterdammerung and then doing two cycles of all four of them, which I was really looking forward to doing because it's uh, an achievement, I think. I wonder whether the orchestra will do it now. I think we'll probably do a Gotterdammerung sometime in the future. The idea of getting all those singers together and booking them years in advance and putting them on stage and having it all together. But, I mean, I know this has happened to everybody across the artistic world. Yes. That everything's been cancelled. It's devastating, isn't it? But I think, for me, that is the saddest thing about this whole year, the fact that we're not going to be able to complete our ring. Yes. Because, I mean, as you said, Kevin, you've performed the whole ring before, but for me, this would have been the first time. And it felt like really doing these, the three operas of the ring that we had done in the last few years was such an amazing experience. Even though they weren't in an opera house and they were semi-staged, for me, it was just like the high point of my career and I was really looking forward to finishing it. And the, the other reason for me was that, strangely, my birthday coincided with all three of the first three operas of The Ring that we did at the oh. Festival Hall. And so I found myself on every birthday performing one of The Ring operas, which was very, very special and was very personal yes. to me. And I just have to say that this is incredibly sad and I, I really hope that we'll find some way 
to at least finish it in terms of doing gutter dammering, even if we mm. can't perform the whole cycle. Yeah. And hopefully on your birthday. <laughs> oh, well, no, thank you both so much for sharing, for being so honest as well, Fiona. We've taken that <laughs> that as a, as a life lesson. And um, no, it's, it's, I really hope that you get to enjoy the season going forward and I hope you get to complete the ring. And thank you very much for joining me on LPO Offstage. Thank you. Thanks very much, Yolanda. That's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Fiona Hyam and Kevin Rundell for their insights into what it's like playing opera in the LPO. Please get in touch using the hashtag OffstagePod. And thanks again for listening. Please do join me for the next episode of LPO Offstage, which we're calling Everyone's a Musician. Everyone's a Musician.